All right, good morning, everybody. A couple announcements while you guys are getting kind of settled. We'll be in Numbers, by the way, chapter 25, 26, and 27, if you want to turn there. We've got uh, a new bulletin coming out, not bulletin, a new uh, uh, directory coming out. Um, and so if you don't mind checking it out back there and making any corrections, any new emails or any phone numbers. And if there's not enough space besides your name where it is, we do have forms out there um, that you can fill out to correct or to add if you want to be added to it. You can be put on the, uh, in that directory. The directory is used just for us to fellowship with one another and call each other up. Um, and that's what we, if you want to be in it, it's up to you. It's up to you. So you can do that. Um, uh, this Saturday, we're having prayer again, um, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., if you want to join us for that here at the, in the sanctuary. Um, also, quilt tickets are still on sale for the raffle that they're going to be having for the, uh, the surgery, uh, for uh, rail surgery, and that's out there, and, and you can talk to Crystal straight about that. She's got the quilt up, so just walk to the quilt, and you'll be able to get your tickets there if you want to be, uh, or just donate. You don't have to participate, just give her money. Uh, February 18th, um, from 5 to 7 at the First Christian Church, there's a fundraiser for the Children and Family Center here in town. Just wanted to lift that up to, to you also. So that's coming up soon, February 18th. Um, also, Calvary Chapel Women's Luncheon. We've got flyers out there, different colors and all. Um, and that's going to be March 24th, 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, and there is a sign-up sheet out there. If you're going to come, just let us know. Um, that way we can kind of prepare for that. So those are out there on the out on the table out there. Okay. Numbers, chapter 25. I think that was everything. Okay. It's a lot, I know. Um, I did check it twice, and you're on the naughty list. <laughs> Numbers 25. I was going to warn you about this, or I warned you about this last week, that this is the result of something that took place between verses 24 and 25 of last week. Um, Balaam... Uh, who was hired to curse, couldn't. God wouldn't allow him. He could only speak whatever God told him to speak, and it was blessing after blessing, and we saw that four different times. But somewhere between 24 and 25, Balaam has a conversation with Balak about how to get the nation of Israel to be cursed, to, have a, 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 to, to cause strife between them and their God. And doesn't tell us what it is, but in chapter 25, verse 1, tells us the result of that conversation. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, little g, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, uh, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Um, that's what it took. Now God is upset with them. He wasn't before until they began to worship other gods or tried to mix the worship of other gods into their worship. We see a, a big movement of that still and always has been. This is nothing new. We still have it today. People trying to blend religions and make it all just one big happy family. Um, and you can see very clearly that that may be their belief or your belief. I don't know where you stand on the issue, but it's not God's belief. Um, and that's important. Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity doesn't believe that. Our God gets very upset when we try to worship other gods, when we try to blend them together and make it all one big happy family. He's not happy, and you're going to see that here. So no matter where you stand on the issue, you can't say that Christianity should join. They, you can't and be a Christian at the same time. Um, so 
that's the idea. You've got to give that up and join something else if you want to, There, whatever. Um, but as far as God goes, uh, the true and living God who created all things, created you, isn't going to share glory with these made-up gods, these little Gs here. So um, he's not happy with them. So the conversation, we're going to, it's later on in the book, in, in, the, in the 30s there, 33 I think is when, chapter 33 is when we actually hear what happened. Revelation 2.12, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, this is how big a deal this is. When Jesus writes his letters to the seven churches, he brings this situation up as one of the problems. Remember, the seven letters to the churches tells him what I like about you and what I don't like about you, if there is anything to like. Um, and when it comes to Pergamos, as he writes this, um, he says this to them. Let me keep it in, in, in context. In verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, um, uh, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there who... There are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So two things he's got against them is this Balaam situation we're about to read, or the, the result of it, um, and also the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which is the, the hierarchy over the laity, which God doesn't like. He doesn't want anybody in between you and God. It's, it's you and Jesus, that's it. You have one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. You go straight to him. You don't go through any man at all. You directly pray to him, nor do you go to any other people that have died before you and ask them to pray for you. You go du- directly to Jesus. God doesn't like that hierarchy. He's, he's done what he's done at the cross to have a personal relationship with you. Um, he, he didn't do it so that he could have a, a, you know, a middleman. He doesn't want that. I want, I want a straight conversation. He ripped that veil from top to bottom. So that's that. But this Balaam thing, what these girls did, and, and probably some of the guys, they came down from Moab, which is where ba- uh, Barak was from, um, and got the guys to get all hot and bothered. And right before they you know, begin, they'd pull out their little idols and say, sorry, this is kind of part of my religion. And before we go any further, we kind of have to worship and do this. And of course, by then, the guys are like, whatever. And they did whatever. Um, and they got joined to this Baal. So they began to worship Baal just to, because um, they were seduced. Um, and that's how Balaam got God to get mad at them. He couldn't curse them directly, but he could do this. And that's the doctrine of Balaam. And, and since that's warned of in Revelation 2, that means it's still going on today. And you've got to ask yourself, what does that look like? If, that is what it, if that's happening today in the church, what does it look like when someone in a congregation or in a church, okays the worship of other gods mixed with your Christianity. What does that look like? We have a big problem in America, and I harp on it. And people don't like it when I harp on it, so I'm not going to harp on it. I'm going to let you deduce what I'm about to talk about. But Islam is not the greatest threat to Christianity in America. We have something much more sinister taking place, much more subtle, and it's in almost all of our schools and it's in almost all of our rec centers. I'll let you fill in the gap and try to figure out what that is. Because I want us as a body to have, be led by the Holy Spirit and hear that still small voice saying, stop! 
I don't want you to do that. That's some other religion. That's another way of worshiping. I don't want you to do that. And you can't mix that with what I've asked you to do. Health is fine. Get healthy all you want. Stretch out all you want. Go for a jog. Meditate on the Lord and His Word while you're running or doing something great. Maybe do a sit-up if you can pull one off. You know, The larger I get, the shorter that sit-up is. It's a lot easier now than it was before. I don't even have to go to my knees. I'm, I'm done right there. But don't pretend. Just be honest about what you're doing when you're doing that exercise. Is that another religion? Am I blending it? And just tacking the name Christian on the end of it doesn't make it right. There's a blending here that's taking place, and he doesn't like it. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. Oh, what a vengeful, angry, hateful God. No, he's stopping a cancer. He's stopping a spread. Just like he did before. It's not kind to let it continue. It's not kind. Oh, why'd you put that guy in jail? Because he was beating his wife and his kids. Oh, well, that's just not very generous. Well, I don't think anybody here would argue about that. You know? Well, yeah, do something about it. You've got to do something about it. Otherwise, you're going to raise up, raise up another generation of children that are used to it, and that's how life is, and they carry it on. And it goes from generation to generation to generation until pretty soon it's infected everybody. That That's just normal. That's just normal. And so God says, no, get rid of them. Take them out. And God has an eternal perspective here. I am not interested in your best 80 years on this earth. I am interested in your eternity. I want you to live forever with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to live pure because it's the best for everybody. I'm not going to let you live in a tainted, ruined state. And so I want you to do this. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill uh, his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This is in front of men, women, and children who are repenting. This guy presents this woman in such a way that's unpresentable. And that means he's close. You remember how they camped? He's at the door of his tent. You've got, you've got the... You've got the tabernacle, you've got the Levites on the outside, and you've got the tribes that are all you know, spread out here. He's close enough that everybody there can see it. I don't know if he's a Levite or not. When we have the genealogy, we could probably did, you could figure that out, but I haven't looked at it. But he's close enough that everybody can see, and he's doing this in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation. He's presenting her, and that means they're in the act of this Moab uh, worship, this type of uh, Baal worship. And so here's what happens. I don't mean to laugh, but boy. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. But the plague stopped at that act. Now, before you gather any thoughts about that whole situation, let me read this next section to you because it's important. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them. What he did was pleasing to God. What he did was, yes, that's how angry I am at sin. That's how much I hate. That's how bad it is to be worshiping these other gods. That's zeal. Phineas has my zeal. You know, Before you might have thought, man, Phineas, easy. I mean, divide or tell her to go home or do, put some clothes on, girl, or something. Nope. Just handles it. And so he was zealous with my zeal. It's pretty intense. Um, among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. That's pretty heavy. God was pleased with that. Now, we okay, so, you know, the javelins are out front. We sell them for thirty nine ninety five. No, I mean you got to be careful. No, yeah, yeah right, Kathy. <laughs> I wouldn't trust you with a pencil. Yeah. Obviously, gosh, I hope everybody understands this. We don't go javelin hunting today. You know, to purify our nation or to purify. We live in an age of grace now. Now, here, in light of the cross, in light of Jesus Christ. In light of forgiveness, in light of him being long-suffering and patient and waiting for repentance. See, because remember where they are. They're in the age of law. They're, they're the, they have no relationship with God outside of the law. This is what happens. This is what the law looks like. But that's why Jesus said, that which is vanishing away, this is me now. It's new. There's a new covenant. Not this old covenant anymore. We have a new covenant with Jesus. We have a new covenant now. I... I I just want to emphasize that so we don't get any weird ideas. Um, my new covenant with Christ is that he paid the price for all of my sins. Now, there will be a judgment day, and make no mistake about this as well. God's zeal and hatred for sin here is the same today as it was back then. But he's dealing with it differently. He placed all of our sins on the cross and nailed Jesus to the cross, his son, in place of us. In place of this guy who got thrust through, in, in place of this woman, he died for their sins. Understand that. When he died once, he died once for all, past and, and future. He, killed, he did it for everybody in, in, in every way. Um, so understand that. So what do we take from this? Not, so we can't use javelins. What, what can we do? Well, we recognize sin for sin. This is sin. Um, and when I know this about my father, see, this is, this is how I get to know Jesus, because Jesus is very gracious, he's merciful, he's long-suffering. There's no javelins through me, although there should be. I should probably have about 10 or 12 through me by now, is the idea. Understanding that God hates that part of my life that's against him and opposed to him and contrary to him because it's bad for me and everybody else around me, I want to deal with sin like this Phineas deals with sin. He dealt with sin in the camp. Imagine yourself being the body of Christ. Imagine them being all these tents. We want to deal with sin that way personally in our own lives. I want to run a, a javelin through it. I don't want to send it home with clothes. I don't want to make a deal with it. I don't want to, 
convince myself that it's okay or a part of it. God hates this. And he's the love of my life because he showed me how much he loved me at the cross by dying for me while I still hated him, while I still his enemy. And so because I know that about him, that he hates this, I want to hate it too. I want to have that same zeal that he has. I want to have that, and, and we should want to have that. I think that's normal Christianity. That's not extreme. You know, that's not way out there. It's not wacky. It's not fringe. This is, it's normal Christianity to hate sin like God hates sin. And the more you have God's heart, the easier it is to hate the sin and to remove it and to, and to attack it, you know, and to not give it any quarter in your home or in your, in your heart. It has no place to stay. Um, and so that's what we take away from this, not that we get javelins, but that we understand that we, have the, we want to have that same zeal. I want to be like Phineas. I want to see the problem, and I don't want to think about it, or pray about it, or talk about it. I just want to act on it. You know, Get rid of it. I don't have any mourning. There's no funeral for it. And sometimes we do that. You know, there's this mourning period. I've given up this. You know, we're in we're in that we're in that forty day giving up thing that people are doing, and and they like to talk about it. I'm giving this up. I don't know what to say, um, but you're completing Christ. Different subject altogether. But um, I don't have a mourning time for. It. I'm not giving up anything. I'm gaining Christ. I'm closer to Him. I'm, I'm in better fellowship with the love of my life. There's nothing better uh, than having that relationship with your wife or your husband. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about, where it's just great, you know? Uh, you get each other's jokes. You understand when you're messing around with each other. And when you're, when you're, when you're synced up like that, you're like, oh, that's how it is with God. That's how you want it, you know? When you read it, you're like, totally, totally understand what you're saying. I, I get it, I get it. That's what Phineas has, and I want to have. Verse 14 now. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, um, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was uh, Zimri, the son of Salu, the, a leader of a, fa- of, of a father's house among the Sem- uh, excuse me. Uh, and the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was uh, <laughs> Cosby, I guess, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of uh, of of a father's house in Midian. And can you imagine sending your daughter in for a mission like this? You understand why God hates Baal and the worship of Baal? Because the worship of Baal caused this guy, Zer, to think it's a really good idea to send his daughter down to the camps of Israel to prostitute herself to get them to sin against their God. That's what that relationship with their God did. Um. Of course he hates it, because he never wanted that for Cosby. He never wanted that for her. God had better plans for her. She was made in his image, but she was raised in a home by this Zer who taught her that that was okay. I see these challenges sometimes where they think it's funny as babysitters to put $5 bills on the wall and to make the kids put their head against there and hold it there, you know, and whoever stays there the longest gets the 5 bucks. That infuriates me. It absolutely infuriates me as a parent. Because you see these videos of these kids, some one kid, probably eight or nine-year-old girl, she's crying because she wants the five bucks so bad, and they're sitting there, and the person's videoing it, laughing and laughing, and isn't this great babysitting? I get so upset with that. 
and nobody that I've talked to, because <laughs> I comment, understands why I'm so upset. It's just a fun game. It's just a little thing. What harm is it? You're teaching your kids. This is what you're teaching your kids. This is what you're showing them at home. This is what they're thinking. You're teaching that little girl to do anything for money. They didn't like that comment at all. Um, you're ruining your children. That's not how you treat a person. That's not how you respect a little kid. That's not how you respect the person that they are, created in the image of God. Would you do that to Jesus? Sorry, I'm on a soapbox this morning. I don't mean to, but this is what happens when unbelievers or Christians that don't read their Bibles and pay attention to what God wants and have a strong relationship with Him, they, they do things, they mess things up, and they think it's cute and funny. And it's not. It's humiliating. You're humiliating these kids. It's horrible. Okay. Don't do that. Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Harris, the Midianite, uh, um, Midianites, and uh, harass the Midianites, <laughs> Harris, harass the Midianites and attack, I'm still on my soapbox, harass the Midianites and attack them for they harassed you um, and their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of, of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. So they go after him. Now, we're going to really go through chapter 26 quickly. This is a census. This is, remember, they're marching towards, this is their second time getting up to the Jordan River. All the people who were 40 years or 20 years or older have died off because of their unbelief. And now they've come up to it again. And so God's going to do another census here and number them. And he goes through these numbers. Um, verse 5, Reuben, uh, the tribe of Reuben. Um, um, they had, uh, let's see, where's the numbers? There it is. 43,730. Um, that was how many were left in their tribe. These are the men, 20 years old and older. Now there's a bunch of kids and there's a bunch of women, so we're, we're about triple that number if you want to get the numbers right here. Um, and so that's them. And it even says there in verse 11 that Korah's children did not die. Those were the children of the guy that led the rebellion against Moses, if you're familiar with that. Uh, then Simeon, verse 12, uh, they had 22,200. Gad is the next group in verse 15, had 40,500. Uh, uh, 40, Judah, verse 19, that tribe had uh, 76,500. Issachar, verse 23, had 64,300. Zebulun. That tribe in verse uh, 26 had 60,500. Uh, 60, 60, Joseph um, had 52,700. Ephraim had 32,500. Um, and then Benjamin had 64,400. Asher had 53,400. And Naphtali, Naphtali, then the other tribe, had 45,400 for a total of 601,730 males, 20 years, old, uh, 20 years and older. Um, and then he talks about this. Let's get this. Those, uh, these are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, to, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance, according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Now, I don't know if he's doing that because that's just what you do. Each person gets about 10 acres. Is that what he's thinking? Either way, um, 
I liken this to a little, I don't want to spiritualize it too much, but we, you do get reward in heaven, not like cash. There's no you know, coupons or anything when you get up there, but God does reward you according to your works. And those are the crowns that we get and we throw back at his feet when we're up there. You read about that in Revelation. Um, of course, everything we were ever able to do down here was because of him. We don't ever take credit, but he rewards those who diligently seek him and so on. There's different things he does. And the more, the thing, you know, the more your life is dedicated down here, then you're going to have more responsibility, it says in heaven, whatever that looks like. We don't know. He just tells us that. Um, and this is kind of like that. I don't know if they were all the same size, and then after Moab came down, more tribes had fallen into it more than others, and so of that 23,000 that died, more died from this tribe than others. I don't know. I do want to be careful that I pay attention to, it's according to the size of your tribe. That's how much land you get. Whatever I do down here has a direct result in eternity for me. Um, and what that looks like, I don't know. We don't really have the specifics on that, which is fine. I wasn't expecting anything but to get there. I'm just happy to slide through the, the gates, you know. Um, but knowing that about this, the small tribe gets little and the, and the, and the larger tribe gets more. I want to have a big tribe. I don't know if that means bringing more people to the Lord. I don't know. I don't know, but I want to be very active while I'm down here for him. I want to live for him, you know, um, and not for the reward, but apparently it's pleasing to him, you know. Um, and so we see that. He's going to break up the land. When you do it, we're going to divide it up. So when we get to the place and you ever look at your maps in the back of your Bible, and you say, how come they got this big chunk and these guys got this little tiny chunk? Why didn't they just section it off, you know? Um, this is why. This is why it looks like it does. Um, now, verse 57 talks about the Levites. Those are the priests. They don't get land when they get in the promised land. They serve God, um, and th that's all they do, which is a big deal. They're constantly busy. Um, and then the people who have their land provide for those guys to do the worship of the Lord. So the Levites here, um, they're going to end up having 23,000 um, about that. And they, mailed, they, they numbered everybody, a male from a month old and above. So that's, that's all of them. That's a pretty small group. Uh, 23,000 of those guys, those Levites. And here's where we get some names. Verse 59, if you back up a few. The name of Amram's wife, Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. So now we know Aaron, Moses, and Miriam's Mom's name, Jochebed. So when you watch Jar Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you'll know why they call her Jochebed, because, well, they knew the Bible. They really did their stuff. So that's that. All right. Now, the last verse here. For the Lord said, uh, had said to them, I'm sorry, had said of them, that they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb and the son of uh, Jephunneh uh, and Joshua, uh, the son of Nun. So Caleb and Joshua are the only two left out of that entire generation um, that did evil in the sight of the Lord by not believing him and trusting him. So those two guys are going to take these, the, the whole nation into the promised land. Uh, chapter 27. Then, the Lord, then, the, then came the daughters of uh, Zelophehad, um, the son of um, Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Makar, I think, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, uh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters. Mahela, Noah, um, Hogla, um, uh, Milka, and Terza. So these, these five daughters come up. They're coming into the promised land, and their dad didn't have any boys, just all girls. And they're kind of wondering, wait a minute, 
you know, what's going to happen? So they, they bring up a good point. And they stood before Moses, before Eliezer the priest, and before the leaders of all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against uh, the Lord in company with Korah. But he died uh, in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. I don't know what to do about this. It's supposed to be the other way. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers, and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Now, they brought up a good point, and such a good point, we're going to tell everybody about it. Here's what I want you to tell everybody. Um, If a man dies and has no sons, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughters, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him um, in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statue of judgment, um, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And here's why. I don't want that land being absorbed by another, another tribe, okay? Um, I, I, I want you guys to have the same amount of land, and so no matter what, it stays in the family. You can't, Judah's not going to conquer, you know, um, whatever, uh, Asher's land. They're not going to be able to take it over um, because they just didn't have any sons or something. I want it to stay that size. It's going to be theirs. Property rights, very important. Um, and there's another soapbox issue I could get onto. <laughs> uh, no, 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 we don't have time. Uh, you don't ever own your land because of those taxes, just so you know, here in America. If you don't pay your taxes, they can take it from you, and that's not biblical. So, anyway, <laughs> pay your taxes. <laughs> now, the Lord said to Moses, Go up into the mountain of Byram, or Barum, and see the land which I have uh, given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my commandment to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. If you don't know the story, fill you in real quick. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock for it to have water come out because it had already been struck once. He got mad at the people. He hit the rock twice. Contrary to what God asked him to do, the water still came out, took care of the people. But God says, because you did that, you misrepresented me to the people. You can't go into the promised land. So here's what you get to do instead. I'm going to show you the promised land from on top of this hill. And then you're going to be gathered together with your fathers. You're going to die. And Joshua is going to be able to take them through. And that's a very brief, uh, that's very concise. And that's going to happen over the next few chapters here. Um, So I want to show this to you. And he does. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, um, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. If I'm going to go, he says, I want you to put someone in charge, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. He understood that. These people need some guidance. They need some help. They need leadership. Um, Don't leave them without a shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him 
before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of Israel, or children of Israel, may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did, as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded, uh, uh, commanded by the hand of Moses. And so he does it. So he's very obedient. Um, Moses didn't even argue with him about it. You know, you would have thought that had been a good time to say, hey, can we revisit that problem that I'm not going into the promised land? He doesn't. Um, he understands. Uh, part of that, and this is, you know, just before we close here, uh, asking for forgiveness doesn't mean the consequences don't go away. They're still there. You know, I, I can ask my wife for forgiveness for sinning against her, for causing, you know, whatever pain or suffering that I brought on her in our, in our marriage. And, and, that's, and she does, you know, she'll forgive me. But that doesn't mean that damage hasn't been done or that that goes away. I don't get to look at her and say, what, you're still bringing that up? You're still thinking about that? Well, it's a pretty big gaping wound, you know, where I'm pretty scarred up. I don't feel like, you know, whatever. Um, you got to be careful and understand that, that um, yeah, there's forgiveness for your sin. Of course there is, and there's grace and mercy, but the consequences are still there. And Moses understands that. I know that God loves me. He's showing me the land. He's not throwing me out. I didn't die that day, you know. Um, I know that I'm still with him and still a friend, and he speaks to me face to face and all that. Um, he accepts it. He accepts his consequences. He accepts the fact that he's done something wrong. Um, anyway, and so we, we see that, 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 that relationship with God fleshed out a little bit more, what it looks like with us. Um, yeah, he still talks to me. Still, his word comes alive to me. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm filled with his spirit, you know. But there's been some damage that's been done, and it takes time for that to heal, you know. Um, and so we see that with him. And Moses does exactly. And, and, and so much so, oh, you know, he's not bitter about it. Oh, great. Yeah, you're going to pick something. You know, well, I guess if I'm going, good luck. Good luck with it. No, he actually thinks about it. Well, if I'm going, and I don't get to take the people in, that's fine. But, boy, they're going to need somebody, God. I mean, that's his heart. He really has a shepherd's heart. Make sure they're taken care of. That's a shepherd who knows not to leave a flock unattended. You know, shepherds come and go, and that's fine. Even in the even in the church, pastors move. That's okay. You know that happens, but they don't leave them without a shepherd. They don't leave them without someone to take care of them. That's wrong. If you don't find a replacement, then you stay until God brings one. You don't you don't get that option kind of thing. And um, I think a lot of churches make mistakes, and you see that around here a lot. You see a lot of fellowships that are, they're doing fine, you know, they're maintaining, um, but they're kind of, they're compassless. They don't have that direction or that leadership that they need, and they're looking, and they even call it that, pastor search committees. We need a shepherd. We need someone. We don't know where to find one. That should, that should never take place. Um, there should always be someone there for them, and so um, I think about, I think about your ministry, Chick, and I think about a lot of these guys' ministries that go to other fellowships that are Pul you know, empty pulpits, and they fill them for these guys. I think that's a really good ministry um, that happens around here. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've learned here. 
what you've opened our eyes to. Maybe some of us have never seen that stuff before. Um, Lord, if there's any mixture of any other religions that we've somehow dismissed and we don't even realize or haven't realized until now that that's wrong, help us to get rid of those things. Um, the spiritual impact may not be uh, obvious right now, but it, it is happening. And uh, God, we, we believe you at your word, not at what we see or feel. Your word says you hate mixture. Your word says you hate it when we bow down to other gods um, and practice other things. Um, you have a way to be worshipped. Uh, uh, you have a love for us. Uh, we're complete in your son, Jesus. There's nothing that could be added to what you've brought us in your son, Jesus. There's nothing that can uh, make it any better. Um, in fact, if we try to do that, you say that it, it defiles. Um, so God, forgive us and help us to remove anything. Bring it to our minds by your Holy Spirit, whatever it is in our lives that may need to go. And also, Lord, help us to have that heart like Moses does, a shepherd's heart, a love for people, um, an understanding of the forgiveness and grace that you have for us, but also of the consequences of our sin. And may that all of that purify us, God. I pray that would all help us to walk closer to you in more obedience to you, paying attention to your Holy Spirit and just being led by you. Lord, we pray for opportunities to minister this week to those we run into or work with or are related to. However, help us to be your hands and feet, to be like Christ to them, to show them your love, your grace, and also your truth, Lord, your word. Um, fill us with your spirit now as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.